So if there's lessons that you want to share with people, if the conversation's going kind of to the right and you want to make it go to the left, you can ask me questions or you can kind of move things in a different direction as well. Okay. So definitely not tied to anything, but I just want that spirit that you shared with me about, you know, kind of how you grew up, some of the lessons you learned and and how what the, I think the big thing that really came to me was how everything for yourself has fallen into place without a big plan. And normally so many of us like myself, I'm a planner, right? I want it all out. And it was just refreshing for me to get that perspective. So if you can just kind of, that that's really where I want to want to spend time with and, uh, you know, just get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, cause when I grew up, I grew up across the street from a farm and, um, but my dad was an engineer. Yeah. And he, he was a worker. He had a musician job. Um, he, he was an engineer. He actually, he had done a lot of things. My dad to me was a very amazing man. Um, he had his real estate license. So he had bought properties at an early age and, um, saved his money. And, um, and you know, we're all different when we're born, we're not going to be necessarily like our parents. I found that out with my kids, you know, that, um, uh, we're all individuals and, um, the world can be, you know, when you look around, it doesn't take very much or very far for you to look to find somebody who's less fortunate. And so when I, uh, grew up, I was lucky to be where I was in the time in Baltimore County, Maryland, there was a farm across the street from us that, um, I didn't even know how, um, unique that place was, <clears throat> but it, it was an organic development farm. Nice. The, farmers, the farmers had come from Germany and they, um, they had farmed long enough with pesticides till one of the brothers became very sick with, um, I think he had arthritis. Okay. And he was almost crippled by it. So they decided that they were going to switch to no pesticides and get mm. completely away from DDT and the things that would um, could harm them. And so that's when we moved into town and got to meet them. And it was about a 100, 110-acre farm. Um, and, uh, they had everything from animals, chickens, cows, <laughs> you know, they had it all. Nice. And, um, hey, hey, Greg, and, I, I don't want to steal too much of that story because we haven't even started the podcast yet. So I, I want to make sure that we get some of that in. Okay. Okay. I can all tell right. everything you want me to tell you. <laughs> all, all right. So, so let's do this. I'm going to give you a, a countdown. And then I'll do the intro to the podcast, intro you, and then we're just going to start having this beautiful conversation like we were just having. Does that sound good? Sounds fine to me. All right. And do I pronounce your name Mascaro? Mascaro? Mas Mascaro. Mascaro. Like yeah. a mask with an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. So let's have some fun with this. Again, I'm totally, totally looking forward to it. So you ready to do it? I'm ready. All right. So let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast. This is Dr. Jim Hoven, and it's my job, my pleasure, my privilege to 
introduce people and concepts that are making a difference in not only their community and their world, but in our world as well. So today I have a really, really cool guest. I think you're going to love his story. Mr. Greg Mascaro is not only a world-class expert in auto stuff, whether it be um, mechanics and body shops and all those things, he's got a wonderful story, but his life philosophy is fantastic. It, it's absolutely um, mesmerizing and intoxicating the way that this man's life has unfolded. I wanted to get that story out. So without further ado, I wanted to introduce my guest, Mr. Greg Mascaro. Greg, thank you so much for taking some time to join me on the show today. Thank you, Jim, for inviting me. This is going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be so fun. You know, it's crazy because you and I have had one meeting. We went by, we met each other when I was in Arizona visiting our office down there. And I was so amazed and taken by basically what you've built and the way that you've built it. And now, not only that, which we'll get into, but when when we met, you're going through a healing crisis, right? Your body, you went through this injury, your body's healing. And in spite of all that, man, your spirit is just so light and so lovely. So I want to I want to delve into that a little bit too about what drives you, Greg? How do you stay so positive, happy, loving, optimistic, and all those kinds of things? So as we get started, tell us as the audience a little bit about uh, you, what you do, where you're at, that kind of thing. Just give us a little introduction about about Greg. Well, today you would find me at work, uh, except for this podcast, um, at uh, in Tempe, Arizona. I have the automotive repair shop that specializes in almost every car. All the decades of cars have come to us. This is my 45th anniversary coming up in 2021. Um, I've been answering the same phone with the same phone number all these years. And uh, I can tell you something, time flies. And I feel very, very fortunate that um, every day when I wake up, I go out to have fun. And I love having fun. Cars are fun for me. Having people bring me their cars and fixing them for them, taking worries away from them. It, um, it's probably the bigger driving force for me than actually making money. But, of course, as we all know, it takes money to live a good life and you know we all enjoy spending money at the stores and that kind of thing but um my uh my story is um an easy one because i felt very blessed as a child growing up in uh baltimore county maryland where the had beautiful rolling hills and countryside where i grew up farms were all around us and uh, i got a lot of my early interest in what I do today as a child. And um, I can remember telling my mom when I was about 14 that I wanted to be a mechanic. But they said she would tell me, oh, no, you don't want to really be a mechanic because you only make $3 an hour all your life. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, my parents were a big big influence on me for everything throughout my life. Did you have and, a close relationship um, with them, Greg? Were you oh, yeah. really close to oh, your parents to this, all through? Yeah, to this day, my mom's 90 years old, but she's just my same mom that I've had since day one. She lives in Pittsburgh. Um, that's where I ended up graduating from high school. And um, I moved to Arizona, uh, well, 45 years ago. So I, I was I think, trying to get away from snow. I got to stop there because you told me that story. And I think it, it really leans into 
your kind of life philosophy of, of how you go about your business of life unfolding for you rather than you really pushing on it to give it what you want, right? Like this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. How did you end up in Arizona to get away from the snow? This is, this is the story of my life and it's ongoing to this day. It's ongoing. Just like being on this podcast with you, um, I, I didn't plan to meet you. I didn't plan to have you come to my shop, but here we are at this crossroad. And I feel like the Lord has always led me to a good place and it keeps getting better. And so um, back in 1977, um, I had this little back alley garage that I was fixing cars in as for a living. And in those days, I called it import auto. I was about 21 years old or so. And um, a couple of years of that went by. And this winter of 77 was really bad in Pittsburgh. And it seemed like every single morning when I got up, I would get up five, six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. But it seemed like this one week, every morning I got outside and there was a foot of snow to shovel to get a car in my little back alley garage. And in Pittsburgh, they have snow plows that plow the streets for you. But in the alleys, those are very last streets to get plowed. So if I wanted to get a car up a big hill in Pittsburgh, you know, it's all hills over there. It's not flat like it is here. I had to shovel not only outside of my garage, but I had to shovel down the alley to be able to get from a street below up into my garage. And that <laughs> a lot of extra work. <laughs> that would take me six hours of shoveling. And so uh, after a week of this, it seemed like every day there was a new foot of snow. And uh, on Fridays, I would meet my friends at this little bar. We called it the zoo. And um, everybody on Fridays would be over there. And so uh, I was there with my beer and my friend walked in. And the first thing I told him was, I'm moving. And he looked at me and he goes, you moving? And he says, where are you moving to? And I said, Florida. And he said, um, Florida, where in Florida? And I said, Key West. And he said, um, why Key West? And I said, because it's the furthest place south that I can think of from here. <laughs> and I just figured that he would know I was joking. But um, he just was kind of thick-headed or something, and he, he kept asking me more questions. So he, he said, well, do you know anybody in Key West? I said, no, I don't know anybody in Key West. And he said, well, I have a brother that lives in Phoenix. He just moved there about a year ago, and he really likes it. He said, if you would move to Phoenix, at least you would know one person. So I said, give me his number. <laughs> so that's how you connected to Phoenix. Yeah, I because I did not know Seoul in Key West and I had no plans to move to Key West. I was just joking. Yeah. So he but he gave me his brother's uh, phone number. And when I went home, like 11 o'clock at night, I called his number and he answered the phone. I said, Jojo, you don't know me, but I said, I'm a friend of your brother's. And I said, I'm just sick of this snow we're having out here. He said, well, if you want to come out and visit me, come on out and you can stay with me for a while. And I said, okay, I'll be there in two weeks. And <laughs> because, 
<laughs> because I really didn't have a job. I mean, to go to, I didn't have a boss. I was just working, you know, for myself in my little alley garage. Um, within two weeks, I took a little Mustang, 1967 Mustang, hopped in it, and I drove clear to Phoenix, and I had driven straight through to Albuquerque before I even shut the engine off. Man, oh, man. So you go to Phoenix, and you realize this is the place for you. What was it that let you know? Was it just the weather or the warmth, or was there something that connected you to Phoenix as opposed to keep your search going? Well, you know, it's funny how things happen, but um, I thought to myself, um, if I could just sell my Mustang, um, I would be able to have money to actually make a move because I didn't have any cash um, saved up. So um, when I came here, I decided I had brought some tools with me and some stuff. Um, I decided on the first day that when Jojo went to work, that I would set out, just follow my nose and see if I could find a little place to work here. So I drove, um, I, I, I arrived in Tempe, Arizona, and I was here um, right around ASU area where JoJo lived. So I took out the next morning and I went on the freeway, back on the freeway that I came in on, and I found myself exiting on Central in Phoenix. I didn't know Seoul where I was, I didn't know whether I was in a good neighborhood, bad neighborhood, but anyway, I started driving from the I-17 road up Central, and I saw this little body shop on the right side. It was right near, right, right near the downtown area, where the close to where the stadium is. And uh, it was a little body shop, so I pulled in, and it was a little Mexican shop. And I told the guys that I wanted to fix up my Mustang and take out a few little areas of rust and spray the paint on it and spot it in. And uh, I said, I want to know how much you would charge me to do that. I said, but when it comes to the painting, I said, I painted this car myself, so I'd rather do the paintwork. So he said, why don't you just pull it over there and do the whole thing yourself? So, and that was a shock to me that somebody would let me do that. Yes. So um, because they said that, I decided to fix every little flaw that was on the car to make it perfect to sell it. And, um, when he saw me go all through the whole car and have it ready to spray and spray it and get it right out to leave in the first day, he asked me if I wanted to come back and work for him. Wow. So, for the first day, the first day I completely fixed up all the damage on my car, any dent, any little bit of rest, and I spotted it all in. And uh, the next day he started working for me or I started working for him. And, um, the story that led me to Arizona permanently is this, is where I was having a little bit of a transmission hang up. It would, it, my, my shift would flare up a little bit. And so uh, I went to an auto parts store to buy some fluid for it. And then I asked them about somebody who could maybe adjust the transmission. They sent me to a place called the transmission shop. And I met this little family business um, Larry Passy owned the transmission shop on Apache Boulevard in Tempe. And um, he saw my 67 Mustang and uh, he said, um, you did all this work on here, right? I said, yeah. And he says, well, let me show you something. So he walks me over to this 69 
Chevy pickup. There was a Forest Service truck that he had just bought. It was that green Forest Service truck. Yes. And he said, uh, how much, uh, what would it take to fix this vehicle up? And I said, well, you know, if I took it down to where I'm working, I could get an estimate for you and let you know. He goes, no, he says, uh, I want you to fix it right here. So I said, oh, I don't see any tools that you have that would allow me to fix this truck here. He goes, what tools would you need? I said, well, I have, you know, DA sanding boards. I have, you know, these air tools at home um, that I would have to use on this truck. It's full of dents and rust and stuff. So he said, um, well, come back on Monday and um, I'll see what, uh, what we can do. So I came back to his shop on that Monday and every tool that I had mentioned to him was laid out on a table. <laughs> and I said, you just spent more for these tools than I would charge you to do your whole truck. And he said, oh no, he says, I have another plan. He says, but um, I do want you to do this truck here. What he did was he brought his 16 year old son over and he had me show and work with his son to paint that truck. And we ended up painting it there. And um, that was a bond that ended up hooking me up for good. Wow. Because, yes, because in the time that I spent there fixing, I, I think I spent the first week, the first visit I spent here took about a month to do everything that I wanted to do. Plus my car sold and I flew home. So that time, um, I met his son who was 16. Um, when I came back, uh, I don't know if it was a month later or more, but I, I ended up selling all the things at my house and in my shop. And I made, it was going to end up taking me like four trips to get back to Arizona. Right. So I bought trucks and I ended up forming a little partnership with a friend of mine at helped teach me body work and he was formally trained. Very cool. And, um, so I brought a, I came back with a partner and um, the, uh, the, the son that I taught. Yeah. He, eventually he ended up working for me and he's been on his own and doing very, very well. He has a big dealership now in wow. Mesa. So he you changed his life, life, basically. Yeah, I changed. I, I, I was part of his future. He was part of my future because when I moved here, lock, stock, and barrel with um, three people, actually, I formed a partner. My roommate ended up asking me if he could come to Arizona. And then while we were packing up our trucks, one of the neighborhood kids who was 19, he ended up asking if he would could put his motorcycle on the on one of the rigs that we were hauling and come with us too. And his mom, as both his parents gave him permission to move out here with us. So before I moved here, I had three other guys moving with me. You you had a crew. So I, I wanna I want I wanna explore that this concept of the rightness of things just happening to you, right? Like do you, how did you always do that, Greg, where you didn't you just left life open. How did you get that mentality in order to look at things that way as, as opposed to trying to dictate what's happened? Where does that come from in you? I have to tell you something. Um, all my life, I have 
felt like I've had guardian angels around me because I'm very healthy, but I could get hurt doing things because I kind of, I'm a risk taker. I like doing <laughs> fun things and riding motorcycles and driving fast cars. And um, even at an early age, when I was just 16 and I bought my first car in high school, I was living at my mom's house in Pittsburgh. And um, this car was a Triumph Spitfire. And I bought it because it didn't have a clutch. It was not, it was not drivable. But I taught myself how to put a clutch in it, which on those cars is weird because they don't come out of the bottom of the car like all cars. They, those cars, you have to take the seats out and there's a tunnel inside of that car under the dashboard that is unboltable. And you remove it and the transmission actually is removed from the inside of your car. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. you take it out that way. And so um, I did that, that job, and I was real proud of that car. And, of course, right away I thought it was Mario Andretti. And um, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had gotten this job as a, a dishwasher, and I was still in high school, but I had gotten a job as a dishwasher at a restaurant right outside of my uh, high school. And um, when I took my Spitfire to work one day, the bus boy that I had made friends with had just had his birthday and his mom had bought him a brand new Gremlin X. So we decided we were gonna go race them that night after we were done working. And um, this is another absolute miracle. One of the biggest miracles in my life, the first ones that I had come to me that I had my go-kart helmet because I used to have a go-kart that I would race. It was a 90 mile an hour um, chainsaw powered go-kart. But I had this helmet in my back of my Spitfire and uh, his girlfriend was absolutely beautiful. A 16 year old blonde haired blue eyed girl. Um, she was a bus girl too. And she, because she, when we went out in the parking lot to go race, she saw my convertible and she says, I want to ride in your car. So I said, get in. So there was a place called South Park. In Pennsylvania, there's curved roads. There's not one mile of straight road in Pennsylvania. It's all curves and hills. And so um, we both drove to South Park, where when I got to the entrance of the park, a wooded area, there was a place called Eaton Park, which was a little restaurant, like a, like a fast food restaurant, at outdoor tables. And I said, I want you to sit on this table before I go race. And I parked her butt on one of those outdoor dining tables. And then I strapped my helmet on and into the park we went. And, and you're racing we now. We were now gonna race, yeah. And um, I went first and he was behind me. And we raced through the park and through all these windy roads and then to the opposite end of the park where we got to the other end and spit out. Um, oh no, let me get this right. I was chasing him into the park. And when we turned around, I said, okay, now you follow me. And um, when we turned around, one of the last curves that we had been on was uh, up going up a hill and around to the top of the hill. So turning around made it a descending curve for me. 
and I took it way too fast. And I lost control of that car and it was going left and right, left. And I'm wheeling the wheel as fast as I can to the left, while I'm wheeling as fast as I can to the right. And after about three fishtails, I lost full control of it, slid sideways right into an oak tree and wrapped the car around the tree. And I had my helmet on. I saw that tree coming. I just grabbed the wheel and I looked away. And when I impacted that tree, it ended up completely um, integrated into the car. So she would have been killed. She would have been she killed would have if she been stayed there. Completely wiped out because wow. I couldn't even see the seat anymore. Wow. The tree was next to my gear shift knob. And I hit that tree so hard that even my shoulder blade that was above where the tree was coming into the car had a bruise of uh, bark on my shoulder blade it looked like my shoulder was a tree holy cow greg so so how did you i mean looking at that again i i really want to drill down into this this concept of how you started understanding that let life come to you because again everything is just kind of unfolded miracles in your life all this thing was that something natural for you or did you develop that by some sort of study was it a combination where did that philosophy come from in how you approach your life well i think um, you know, I have this thing called ADD where, um, I can't stay focused very well. And, uh, unless I'm involved with something that I'm really interested in, that I have to like, and I have to really enjoy what, when I'm in that environment, then it seems like I do focus and I do yes. um, stick with the job, even if it's a tedious job. If it's something that I'm enjoying, um, I can hang with it and and do a job to a completion. But um, as far as planning, um, I'm really not that good. Now, when I worked at jobs for other people, I was really good to show up and do their job, whether I was the dishwasher, whether I was a janitor, whether I was working on the farm, um, pulling weeds or tending to cattle or things like that. I was really good for those jobs. But um, the thing that early on is, is when I was making money as a kid, I was able to buy things that my brothers and sisters didn't get that my parents wouldn't afford for them. And um, so it was a motivating factor for me as I would get into my own business. So you're money and, motivated. That's what made you say you you wanted to move into starting your own company. Were you worried? Were you worried at all, Greg, about because of what you're calling your your ADD or your inability to focus? Were you worried that that was going to create any issues for you, or did you just know that no, I really want this? Well, let me tell you something. If um, if you take your life in little steps and you just see what is in front of you to um, capitalize on that opportunity that presents itself to you. And this is what the Lord has done for me all my life, because as I moved out of my house from my mom, like when I was 17, I was ready to be on my own. And I took off with a car, a small amount of money from a job that I had, either whether I was a dishwasher or, um, you know, a busboy. But 
I could get a place to live with my brother and I went to school to, to honor my parents. I told my, I told my mom that after high school that I would apply to do in things with, with my hands, whether it was uh, uh, aeronautics or uh, electrical work or construction, something that I could work with my hands. And one of the first schools that accepted me was an electrical school for technology. And I spent 15 months getting a degree as an electrician. Um, however, even though when I got my job as an electrician, I didn't enjoy that as much because I was only 135 pounds and electricians in Pittsburgh are treated like a rookie of a steelworker town. And um, <laughs> it's, it was really hard on me. And so um, I uh, got into a little financial difficulty and I wanted to get two jobs. So I went and answered a newspaper ad just from a necessity and um, as a bartender. I wasn't even old enough to be a bartender. But when I answered this ad, it was in the United States Steel Building for Stouffer's Restaurant. And this guy is interviewing me and he said, um, uh, have, do you have any experience? And I said, oh, just shot in a beer. And I was not telling the truth, just shot in a beer. <laughs> and he said, um, so he said, uh, well, at Stouffer's, we're going to train you on all the recipes to be a bartender the way we want you to be. So he said, um, I see your name's Mascaro. Are you Italian? And I said, yeah, my dad is 100% Calabrese Italian. So he said, well, Italians make good bartenders. So he said, I think we're going to give you a try. But I was not even truthful about my name because I wasn't old enough. My brother was 21. So I told him my name was Frank Mascaro. <laughs> so so you go through that job, Greg. That's so funny. You go through that yeah. job and then, and then you decide you're going to open your business. I'm still really interested in, in how you manage that. Well, the thing of it is... Um, I was already not living with my parents and um, I found this van that was big enough to live in. And this is a funny story, but this is the beginning, very, very, very beginning of me being self-employed. But I bought this van that looked like a Brinks truck and it was a big boxy van with the windows that went straight up and the door would slide open for you to get into the seat on the driver's side or, or the passenger side. Right. And I fixed this thing up like a camper. And um, I moved into this place where I had friends that, was, that had an apartment above a bar. But the bar had a garage in the alley that um, was a two-car garage and um it was vacant and it had no electricity or anything in it but since i was an electrician i asked them if i could put a meter in and you know wire it and i built this little workshop up to fix cars i was tending bar and i was living in the van next to the workshop where i could plug it in 
And all it would take is a little space heater and a little cup of coffee with a little electrical element to pour water. And um, I had everything I needed in this van. And the bar that was down below was everything I needed to eat, wash, clean myself, because I used their bathroom and their kitchen to... (laughs) Yeah, to, to they, live your everyday life outside of yeah, working. they treated me. They treated me like gold because the lady that was in there um, would cook me breakfast. I mean, I had to pay, but it was still it was like any time of day or night. I could eat right there. I could work in the in the garage upstairs, and um, I did that for three years. Although I only lived in my van for about seven or eight months because one of the roommates at the apartment upstairs got married and then the people up there invited me to live up there as a roommate so then i was upstairs in the apartment and um i would do things all winter in that van and in that um in that um garage and i was still bartending too and so i was making good money I, the neighbors were bringing me jobs. I was I was in the bars and people would be complaining about their car getting wrecked. And I would say, well, when I get my break, let me take a look at it. Maybe I can help you. So I could trade keys with people at the bar and give them my car to drive. And I would drive their car home and I would fix their car and take it back to them. And this is where I kind of met my partner because... Anything I didn't know about cars, because I was an amateur car guy, I was a professional electrician. Um, But anything that I didn't know uh, about cars, I just would go down the boulevard to where the dealerships were and all the car places were, and I would go in the side door right up to the technicians, and I would ask them. And this one day I had a Mercedes that was sideswiped. And um, the body man, I said, hey, listen, if you come up to my garage after work, we can do this job and I'll, I'll do it with you and I'll split the money for you. So he said, all right, I'll come take a look at it. And he came up. And at that time, I didn't even know how to estimate cars, but I had wrecked things and my brothers had wrecked things. And I knew how much <laughs> my parents had paid to fix cars so i just started i just started blurting out numbers and he says you're getting 1500 for this that's more than we would charge at the lincoln mercury garage so he and i were working on the cars together and he was teaching me the right way to do it and of course i would deliver the cars back to the bar and the bar the people at the bar said oh my god that's beautiful i can't even tell where you work where you worked on it and so um one car after another after another after another i kept doing it that way and it came to the time where the city paid me a little visit and they said hey you're running a commercial business back here in a residential area and you don't even have permits this is illegal you're gonna have to shut this place down is that what led you to your new building is that how you ended up getting to your building the garage in Pittsburgh is the garage that I was shoveling my snow to get away from. Right. Yep. Yep. So, so and take I'm me here. 
So Greg, take, take me here. When, when you open up your shop now, so now all these years have gone by, you open up this beautiful shop that you have now. Have you had a lesson that you've taken from all this experience? Because again, what keeps coming out in all these beautiful stories are the, this, this instance after instance of the right person, the right place, the right time, like timing has really been in here for you. And, and that's just how your body or your life flows. That's amazing. When you opened up your shop now that you're in now, so you get this shop open, you're doing your thing. Was, was there something that you took from all of those previous experiences that gave you the confidence that this great, big, beautiful building that you, that you were into was going to work? Where, where, did you have fear as a business owner? What, what Take me through that. Not any time did I ever fear moving. Not any time did I ever have the mathematical skills to plan it and make the numbers match and have a um, and have a uh, a business plan or not even a formula for success. But I can tell you that. My goal was to just do my best, give it my all. When I moved from Pittsburgh, I said, I want to, first of all, when I was leaving Pittsburgh, I was leaving more than just snow. I was leaving a horrible drinking habit because I was just like a rock star that flipping cocktails, you know, like Tom Cruise and, and going out and many, many nights I would work till one o'clock in the morning and then go to the after hours bars where other bartenders knew me and they would give me drinks free or cheaper. You know, I would tip them spend. I would probably spend my tips at another bar um, before I would go home to go to sleep. This was not good because it was giving me a stomach ulcer that would burn whenever I was drinking any kind of hard liquor like Tangeray gin or scotch whiskey or things like that, that I was getting accustomed to drinking. And um, when I decided to move away, I had a lot of tickets on my driver's license. There were tickets for speeding. There were tickets for not having a state inspection, not having a plate that was registered. Um, My youth was run more by fun than anything else. And how did you transmit that, Greg, into your new shop? You don't have a plan. You don't have a a, a degree that, as far as the the math, the mechanics behind it. So what is it that makes your shop work? I want to know, what is it that makes your shop work? It's, it's, um, the way, the only thing that I can say is that um, the love for the work the love for the people to not disappoint them to do what I say I'm going to do. You know, if I have to work late or make my promise, I, I really would dedicate the, the happiness of my customer. And when you work on something that you enjoy, you don't really tire of it. Um, you, when you do enough volume of it, the money takes care of itself. Eventually. Um, I was really fortunate to find things in steps because my first shop was, I was driven to my first shop by the people that I did my first job for. 
But Larry Passy took me in his vehicle. When I came back to Arizona, loaded with trucks and cars and my um, three friends, I pulled up to their house because I had no place to come to here. Think about that. 2,300 mile trip with three extra people mouths to feed. None of us having a job, none of us having any plan how are we gonna do this? I pull up to Larry Passy's house and he let me stay in his backyard first. And then he put me in a car on Monday morning and he took me down to the river bottom where the Tempe marketplace is now. It used to be the dump. And there were um, properties where they were just hauling gas station garages, the metal buildings that used to be on every corner. Well, the cities were getting away from them. All the gas tanks had leaked into the grounds. They were shutting those places down. The properties were being condemned. And they, he would buy these gas station buildings and plop them in the sand in Tempe River Market or the Tempe um, Marketplace over there, right off of Hayden Road. And I caught over there and he said, this is the landlord and this, is a, this place is for rent. It was only $300 a month. But there was no floor in it. <clears throat> I said, do I get a floor? And he said, yeah, when you come back Monday, there'll be a floor in here. And they just used the building, not any footer or anything. They just poured the floor inside of the building. Wow. <laughs> wow. And used it as a footer. <laughs> oh, Greg, that's amazing. Listen, <laughs> I, I, these stories, and I know you could go on forever with these stories and how your yeah. life has unfolded. That's the main message I wanted people to get from this. Would you have, as we wind this down, would you have any single piece of advice for a business person, for someone going through um, whatever their life is, their life path is that you would offer is, as the biggest thing that you've learned or, or that you've taken away, best piece of advice that you would give the listeners as we wrap up today? Well, you know, today it's, there's so many things that we didn't even have, you know, that we, we didn't have cell phones. Um, we didn't have, um, modern conveniences you know not even a microwave you know at the time internet. <laughs> but, but now that, that you got the internet to help you learn things quicker and faster I mean, even now we use youtube to um to help figure things out that we've never taken apart before um but i think the the thing is to just have faith in god first because we're limited and when i have don't have answers when the answers come those answers come from god mm. and if you just keep your energy up and your passion for what you do and keep showing up because some days are not as good as others but if you just keep showing up um you will find out that your life will get better and you're going to give to people the way you would want people to give to you. And it just turns out to have a great day. Every day is a great day. Great uh, day. Another great day. Great. That, there's no better way that we could end this conversation as far as that goes. Just every day is a great day when we choose to see the beauty and the good and have faith and show up and have energy. I, I know that everybody listening would want to know more about how you do what you do. So would you be able to, or would you be willing to give a contact 
if people want to learn more, if they're in Arizona around Tempe, they need to get some car work done or they want to learn more or contact you to hear more about your story, how could they reach you? Uh, they could call me at 480-695-7000 and um, I can give them directions to where they need to go. Awesome. Greg, what a great time, man. You just, again, your, your, your tales of how your uh, background has gone, how you've grown up, totally, totally just made me feel good. They, they filled my cup up with just a cool life well lived. So thank you so much for visiting. Um, please, please stay well and let me know how I can help you in the future. I will. Thanks, Jim. It was fun. Ah, oh, so fun. So fun. Take care, my brother. All right. You too.